The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello, and welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. Thank you for tuning in. Before we get into the interview, I would be honored if you would consider going to thepaulleslie.com and clicking support the show. There are quite a number of things I want to accomplish with the Paul Leslie Hour, and you can help me get more of these interviews out there to the masses. It only takes a moment, and it makes a world of difference. Last but not least, tell someone about the Paul Leslie Hour. Let them know in whatever way you can. And now let's get into the interview. Hello. Hello, is this Bruce Chanel? Yes, it is. Is this Paul? It sure is. How are you doing? <laughs> well, it's nice talking to you. I'm fine, thank you. We had a little thunderstorm come by. I think it's about settled down now. All right. So you're in Nashville? Yes. <laughs> well, thank you very much for doing this interview. I really appreciate it. Well, I, I appreciate your uh, interest there, uh Paul, and uh, I'm glad to answer any questions that I can, you know. Well, I want to tell everybody who's listening in that Bruce Chanel is a singer, songwriter, a recording artist. He wrote and sang one of the best records ever. It's about to hit 60 years officially. I'm talking about Hey Baby. Everybody knows that song. His work has been covered by some of the greatest singers and recording artists as well. Thank you very much for joining us, and tell us a little bit about what you've been up to, sir. Well, uh, my wife Christine and I live in Nashville and have for just over 40 years now, and uh, we really enjoy it here. I'm, I'm originally from Texas, and uh and my wife Christine is from England. I met her on a tour there in 1968, and uh, we got acquainted and really enjoyed each other's company. And uh, then in 1971, she came to the states, and we got married. And we've been married since then, and living in Nashville since 1978. And I've uh, been writing songs here and working the studio and. Still do a show here and there, but not as much as used to. Don't have that much energy anymore, you know? <laughs> so what does Christine think of the United States of America? Oh, are you kidding me? She thinks it's, a, it's the greatest thing ever, you know? I've often uh, asked her, I said, you know, don't you think at some point you'd like to go back to England? And she says, no, I couldn't live in England after living here, you know? <laughs> uh, I mean, she loves England, and she loves... Her parents are deceased. Uh, she has a sister with older children who have are starting a families of their own now. But um, and she has cousins and like that. And we used to love to go back and visit. But at, at our age, which is uh, I'm 80 and she's just younger than me, we don't make as many trips as we used to go once a year to England, visit the folks, maybe do a tour. Uh, and I did that for uh, a good long time, but since moving to Nashville, we've uh, we've just enjoyed being at home and being with each other. Well, you mentioned that you're from Texas originally. What was life like growing up for you? Well, I, I had a great upbringing. Uh, 
my parents were were just wonderful people, country folks that uh, tried to do the best for their family. They they didn't have money, but they worked hard and earned enough to get us whatever we needed, you know. And uh, my dad was played harmonica and was uh, he liked to sing. And my mother had a beautiful voice. I loved to hear her singing around the house, doing her chores, you know, gospel songs mainly. But uh, and I just loved listening to her. And then she'd do the old timey songs too, you know. And I, I would I'd try to copy them and remember as many as I could. But through the years, they're just about gone now. About you know old cowboy songs and things like that. It's all good stuff, that that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, I had I had a great upbringing. When I was I was born in Jacksonville, Texas, which is in East Texas, and uh, at an age of about three, we moved to Longview. My grandmother lived there, and uh, so we moved to Longview, Texas, and from Jacksonville is about thirty odd miles or so, and uh, at the age of three, and then the next year. My dad was uh, in World War II was called uh, to North American Aviation in Grand Prairie, Texas, which has changed names two or three times, Chance Vault and several other things through the years, Ling Timco Vault, and it's a big aircraft company, you know. But he was a machinist during the World War II there, and uh, we built a house in Dallas, and uh, – I went to grade school, started a school in Dallas, and then at about age 14, that summer, we moved to Grapevine, Texas. It's a, only about 1,400 people population, but uh, my dad wanted to get us out of Dallas. It was getting too big, and there was a lot of gang troubles going on and things like that, so he moved us out to a little country town about 30 miles away, and we enjoyed it out there. It was a great time growing up in a small town. Who would you say are the singers and the songwriters that have made the biggest influence on you, Bruce Chanel? Uh Well, you know, naturally the biggest singer was Elvis back in the day, you know. He was the first one that really broke the mold and brought the music to us, but... My brothers and I and the kids in Grapevine, we we loved, uh, we would get these old R&B records by, you know, all these old famous old groups, and they loved to play them at their parties and dance to them and that kind of thing. But we loved country music. We loved Buddy Holly. We loved Elvis. We loved Carl Perkins, you know, all the great stuff. We just, we loved all of it. And when I was 14 in Grapevine, I put a little band together, my friends at school, and uh, we started playing a youth center, which was just a great big room on Main Street that my dad had helped uh, resurrect so that we could have a dance there on the weekends. You know, Saturday night we could play there and the kids could come and did that for a while. And then uh, just kind of moved on from there and got um, since I was about five years old, I was interested in music. Because I'd love to go to the drugstore and they had songbooks there, you know, Hill and Range and all the latest hits were in those uh, books. And I love to get those. And I had a cousin come live with us at one time and work with my dad in construction. And he was a guitar player. So my dad had done some work for a guy that owned a barber shop and helped him enlarge his place and everything. And he had a restaurant next door 
with a hamburger place next door. And so part of the pay was that uh, he had a guitar, and my dad traded him that guitar for his labor to do that, and he bought us hamburgers for a year. <laughs> so we had music and we had food, you know. <laughs> but that that was kind of my introduction to music, and my, my cousin Snooky would would play the guitar and we'd sing along, my brothers and I, and then I'd want to hold it and try to learn something. So through he and my older brother, whom Snooky taught to play, they both started trying to teach me, and they'd let me hold it and show me where to put my fingers. And, uh, you know, after a time, at, after about five, six years old, I'd, I'd learned G, C, and D, so I, I could strum along and, and do a song or two that I'd heard, you know. And that's where my love of music uh, came from, though. I just, uh, and my dad played harmonica. He'd play the old spinning wheel in the parlor and all those great old harmonica songs, you know. So, and that was the upbringing we had, was singing and playing music. Well, you mentioning harmonica, I have to ask about one of the great harmonica players, one of the great all-around musicians, Delbert McClinton who you are very associated with. How did you meet Mr. Delbert McClinton? Uh, I had been uh, trying to do music, you know. I'd been on talent shows and uh, won a place on the Big D Jamboree and got to sing on there and a few things like that, you know. And then uh, one day my dad said, have you ever thought about going to sing on the Louisiana Hayride? came out of Shreveport, KWKH at that time, and uh, Elvis had started uh, there back in the 50s, 53, 54. He played down there, and so this by this time it was 57 and 58. And uh, I said, yeah, I had kind of thought about it, but my old guitar is kind of beat up. I'm going to have to get me a better rig before I go do something like that. So he came home the next week. Uh, he worked at a trailer factory building uh, home trailers, and uh, he was making $45 a week. And he brought home uh, a Gibson J200 in a leather case that cost $365. And I couldn't believe my eyes. And he said, well, practice up on it a little. And he said, we'll load up and go to Shreveport this weekend. So uh, they, my brothers were busy doing their deal. And uh, so mom and dad and I, climbed in the old Ford with the new guitar, took off to Shreveport from Grapevine, which is not all that far, you know, 150 miles, maybe something like 130. So we drove to KWKH that Saturday morning early, and uh, about noon, we went and knocked on the door, and there were people in there on a Saturday, and a guy named Bob Sullivan was the engineer, and um, my dad just went in to, to meet people, and the uh, he came across the guy that did the booking for the Louisiana Hayride. And uh, he said, I brought my son down here, and I want him to audition for you. And uh, the fellow says, uh, okay, i I got a few things to do, but I'll be glad to listen to him, you know, in a few minutes. So we waited for a little while, and finally he came back and uh, he said, okay, uh, let's, let's hear you. So I played him a song or three. And he liked them and, and kept asking me to play different songs. And I'd, I'd do Marty Robbins songs. I'd do Elvis songs. I'd do all the music that I could play, you know. And uh, at the end of it, he said, well, yeah, I like that fine. He said, "Do you 
can you be on the show tonight? <laughs> and I was kind of shocked, you know, and I said, oh, yeah. And he said, do you have anything to wear on the show? And I said, yeah, I've got my show jacket in the car, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so I got to sing that night. And then so uh, Tillman Franks is the guy's name. He was Johnny Horton's manager, North to Alaska and all those great songs. Johnny Horton and uh, Honky Tonk Man, I'm a One Woman Man, great oh, yeah. records. And then he also managed Elvis for a while, while Elvis was at the Hayride. But then that's shortly after is when Tom Parker picked him up and moved on, you know. But uh, Tillman was a great guy, and he helped me a lot. And uh, and after Hey Baby was a hit, he came to Dallas to play a show. He was a bass player, and he came to Dallas to play a show at the BD Jamboree with a fellow that had a record called Almost Persuaded. It was a big, big hit. And uh, so I went to see Tillman and said hello. And he said, well, I'm sorry. I never could get going what I wanted to with you, he said, but you're not country. And uh, I didn't know exactly what to do with you. And I said, well, that's all right, man. I said, I appreciate you just helping me like you did. You know, it was great. I really enjoyed it. So, and that's kind of how it, it came about. But then years later, uh, I had been had odd jobs. I had worked at paving companies. Uh, I had done all different kind of jobs and summer jobs and whatever and trying to get a hold of something, you know. And so uh, finally I was working uh, with a Texas tank, building butane tanks in Dallas. And uh, I worked there for a while and, and got myself hurt two or three times because I, I didn't understand the mechanics of all that and I was trying to learn it but there was things like stacking those butane tanks with a friend of mine he'd pick them up if folks know what a heister is it's the thing with chains that you pick up a tank and you put a chain hook on each end and lift it with this heister and you put it up on a stack of tanks which are about 10 tanks high hmm. pretty high in the air so I'm I'm on the side of the stack, and he's swinging the heister around to bring the tank in to stack it up on the next one. Well, the heister got away a little bit, and it when I turned around, the tank was swinging towards me on the stack, and it hit me in the stomach with the end of it, and when it bounced back out, I slid off the stack. <laughs> And the buddy Combs was running the heister, jumped off, and he was shaking like crazy. He thought he'd kill me. And uh, he's, he's trying to light a cigarette, and he couldn't. So I got the matches from him and struck it and helped him light his cigarette. And then uh, he said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I think so. I don't think anything's broken. He said, you know what? He said, my sister's a songwriter. I want to introduce you to her. And I said, well, okay, i do that. He was a guitar player. So we had peaked together a little bit, and I went to meet his sister, uh, Margaret Cobb. And Margaret and I started writing songs together, and we wrote, uh, I guess, maybe 20, 30 songs. And Hey Baby was one of the songs that came out of that batch. Well, I'd been working with the Light Crust Doughboys through Marvin Montgomery uh, from the Big D Jamboree, and he was friends with Margaret and a great musician, Smokey Montgomery, famous banjoist from back in the 40s in the 50s, and uh, and for a while he headed up the Light Crust Doughboys, which was Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys at one time, but they started out the Light Crust Doughboys. 
but that was years and years ago, and this is up now in the late 50s. And uh, so he hired me to go out and sing with the Light Crust Doughboys. And Margaret and I continued to write songs, and one day Marvin Montgomery says, look, there's a guy in Fort Worth. His name's Major Bill Smith. He's a retired major in the Air Force, but he dabbles in the music business. Take three or four songs and go to his house. Call him. Here's his number. I work with him in the studio all the time. He said, call him and make an appointment and go over there Saturday and play some songs to him. So I did that. I showed up on the Saturday, and I, and I had a, a song called Dream Girl, and I had Hey Baby, and I played those for him. And he said, yeah. He said, I like those. He said, we'll get some time at the studio next week. He said, what I need, he said, I've got a session right now for a girl, and I need an answer to Hit the Road, Jack, by Ray Charles. <laughs> Come back, Jack. <laughs> hmm. So we got busy and wrote Come Back, Jack, and took it to the studio the next week, and he liked it, and he cut it on Trudy Coleman, this girl. And then uh, we had a session, and the group that I worked with was Delbert McClinton and the Straight Jackets. They were an R&B band from around Fort Worth, and they backed up all the great blues artists that would come to Fort Worth and play, you know, uh, Lightning Hopkins, all the great blues players. They'd get Delbert and his band to go with them and play. So it was a good little band. And I showed him uh, the song we were going to do, you know, my guitar, and played it to him. And then, uh, lo and behold, funny things happen in life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Paul, uh, <laughs> the guy that was the engineer that day on the session was a guy from Shreveport, KWKH, named Bob Sullivan. He's the first guy I met at KWKH. <laughs> he was the engineer at the radio station. And now, this couple of years or so later, he's the engineer at the recording studio in Fort Worth. <laughs> Interesting. So I, I met Delbert and the guys that day. Uh, they said, okay, let's let's go through it one time. So we played it one time, and they said, that's pretty good. Let's do it again. So we played it a second time through. And uh, and Marvin said, wait a minute. I'm going to come in. It needs a piano. I need to put a spine in it. So he came in and sat down and played the piano with us the third time, and we did it. And uh, Bob Sullivan said, come and listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> so we trooped in and listened to it and said, yeah, it sounds pretty good, you know. So uh, Bill Smith called a friend of his, Bob Wolf, who was in the record business kind of, and uh, played it for him from the, from the studio over the phone. And when he got through playing, he said, how do you like that, you cotton picker? Bill Smith called everything a cotton picker, even people. And he said, uh, that's a cotton pick and smash. And he said, do you like it? And he said, yeah, I like it. He said, well, do you like it $500 worth? Bill was wanting money to promote with. <laughs> he said, well, I don't know if I like it that much. <laughs> so so Bill said, okay, you cotton picker, it's a smash. So he went to work on it after that and uh, put it on his LeCam label took it to every radio station in a five-state area. It started creeping up the local charts. And from all the places I had played and the parties for kids at Hearst, Euless, Bedford, Arlington, Grapevine, Irving, Fort Worth, Dallas, all those areas I had played parties or youth centers to all those people at one time or another. And they started calling <laughs> and requesting it. 
And uh, it got on a program they called the Battle of the Bands, Battle of the Records. And each week they'd play a new entry against the winner from last week. Well, we came up against a little bitty tear written by Hank Cochran. And uh, it was uh, uh, Burl Ives had the record. And uh, so I thought, man, this is going to be rough. Well, at the end of it, the disc jockey says, well, folks, he said, we, I thought we had a tie, but he said, a little bitty tear has won out. So, and, uh, and they told me later, he said, when he said that, he said, the radio station just lit up the switchboard and he started answering calls and all of them were kids said, you got to be nuts. Hey, baby's the best record you ever played. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So a bunch of them started calling like that. So it it did. They said, we've had a recount. <laughs> and so Hey Baby got played in their top 30, which meant it got played once every hour. And from there, it went on up and got in their top 10, which put it on the charts of the other local stations, plus KILT in Houston and KLIF in Dallas, the two big ones you need. And it started creeping up their charts. So Bill Smith and I, the major and I, drive to Houston in his little car there full of records <laughs> and uh, pull up in front of the hotel. We're going to do a gig for KILT down there, a cancer show. And it came over the radio when we drove up into the hotel lot. It said, and tonight's uh, guest at the, at the big show and our new number one record on KILT, Bruce Chanel and Hey Baby. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I came straight up in the car and hit my head on the ceiling. You know, I couldn't believe it. You know, we were laughing and going, are you kidding me? Number one. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of how it started from from there, Paul. And it's just one surprise after another. And then pretty soon, here you go. I'd never been anywhere further than uh, the Big D Jamboree. And here I've got my J200 tucked up under my arm going to New York City to do rehearsals with Fast Domino and Brooke Benton, The Impressions, The Duke of Earl, and a whole cast of record stars, you know? And here's a little old country me showing up with my J200 country guitar <laughs> <laughs> to play with a, an orchestra that backs the show. I didn't have Delbert with me. I didn't have the band. This is booked before all this happened, you know? I mean, what happened was Hey Baby was released, it got up low in the charts, about number 47, something like that. It was moving up. And I was signed to do this tour before it was a hit. They said, well, if we can get him signed, he can make some money before it goes out. Well, when the tour came around, I had the number one record in the country. And Hey Baby was number one. And then I, and I was touring with Fast Domino and Brooke Benton and all these people and couldn't believe it. And uh, Harold Cromer was the MC of the show. And he... He was, this was 19, let's see, 62, and he would introduce me as the only colored boy on the show. <laughs> and, and he'd make jokes about making me ride the back of the bus and stuff like that, you know, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. But, and see, all that racial tension was really flaring up at that time, but we didn't pay any attention to that. Yeah. I, I mean, it was just, it was just the music and and the show and all of that outside of that. I never paid any attention, and those folks didn't either. 
And we had a wonderful time together. I got to stand there every night and watch Fast Domino and Brooke Benton and these great artists do their thing every night, just stand in the wings of the stage with them and watch them and soak it up, you know. And it was wonderful, great experience. But that's what I was flung into. So when I got home from that tour, it went from New York City to Houston, Texas. And when I wound up in Houston on the last date, I found out that we were booked to go to England. We were supposed to do uh, two two weeks, I think, and I think they expanded it some to a couple more weeks, baby. But two weeks anyway. In the June, it almost a month, June the fourth to July the fourth, we were in England. So this time I said, okay, that's great. But Delbert's going with me. Hmm. I can't, I mean, I loved playing with that orchestra, and the horn sounded great, and it came off great, and everything was fine, but it wasn't that harmonica sound, you know? Yeah. It was a big band sound. So uh, I said, uh, I'd love to. I said, but Delbert's going with me. If we can, You couldn't take the whole band. It's too cost prohibitive at that time, you know? So they, I said, well, that's fine, but Delbert's going with me. I'm not going without Delbert. We've got to have that sound, you know? And then that's the way it worked out. So we did a did a tour in England and uh, and met the Beatles. They they were on a couple of shows with us and didn't have records or any of their songs out. This is 1962, and it was 64 before they had any of their songs released. You know, so there were some great experiences along the way. And and Delbo and I, you know, we met that day at the studio. We were both just 20, 20 years old. And then uh, I was 21. Uh, it, hey Baby came out in November. My birthday was the 28th. I was 21, November the 28th. And March the 10th of 62, Hey Baby was number one. <laughs> and Delbert's birthday is three weeks before mine. I'm on the 28th of November, and he's on the 4th of November. So that kind of kind of worked out, you know. And we had a great time and still do. I've, Christine and I, my wife and I, have done like 25 cruises with Delbert. You know his Sandy Beach cruise? I don't know if you do, but you, you can look up DelbertMcClinton.com, Sandy Beach cruise. It'll tell you all about it. Of course, we didn't have one this last year, as everybody knows. There's been too much else going on with this stuff. But they plan to probably resume it at some point, I think. So we've really enjoyed doing that. And uh, and we stay busy and do a, do a few things here and there. But... Just I don't try to stay booked all the time, you know, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, man, I, I hope I haven't been too long winded in no. Jack, and I, I probably put your listeners to sleep there. But <laughs> not at all, not at all. You know, you you mentioned all these experiences, like meeting Fats Domino, for example, meeting the Beatles. I had the chance to meet Fats years ago, which was just the thrill of my life. And I'm just curious, who have you met through your career in music that just, it just blew you away? Oh, man, all, all those people, you know. I, I'm amazed at the people that I've gotten to meet through. Just singing a little old song called Hey Baby got me invited to so many things to people I, I never in a zillion years thought I'd ever be in the same room with, much less meet them, you know, and and they think that I'm a friend, and and I just love that. I mean, you know, people like the great Bum Phillips, you know, the professional football coach, 
the Houston Oilers years ago. Bum was a great friend. He's deceased now, but he's a wonderful friend. And and he would call me and just a yak. You know, he's just that kind of a guy, just a wonderful person. And and Coach Darrell Royal from the University of Texas, who took Texas to the championships back in the uh, Nixon days, you know. And um, just some wonderful people. I was sitting in a line to get a shoulder massage at a golf tournament one day. And talking to this fella sitting next to me, and we were just joined back and forth and how much fun it was and everything. And then uh, in a few minutes, the the masseuse comes and says, I'm ready for you, Mr. Musial. It was Stan Musial. Hmm. I got I got to sit there and yak with Stan, the man Musial. I didn't even know it was him <laughs> until he got up to go get his massage, you know? <laughs> And it's just fun, you know, Franco Harris with it's the same tournament. I used to do these tournaments with friends of mine, Larry Henley. Uh Larry had I like bread and butter, you know? Oh yeah, I know. I like bread and butter. She liked toast and jam. That's what my baby feeds me. I'm a loving man. Remember that? Oh yeah. Well, little Larry and I were just great friends and, and did all these golf, charity golf tournaments together. And that's where we would meet these people. And another good friend of mine, Sonny Throckmorton, Sonny took me to Texas. Of course, I'd been to Texas, but not on that basis to where I'd go. We did the first Living Legends Golf Tournament at Onion Creek in Austin, Texas. It was a famous golf tournament that started there with all the greats of golf in the tournament for charity. It was just such great fun, and you get to to sing your songs for these people, and they were so appreciative and became your friends, and you got to spend time with them and converse with them, and they'd call you, and it's just unbelievable. You think you're you're walking on clouds, think, I really know him, and he likes me, (laughs) you know? So it's just been a great experience, and I have to say, music has been responsible for every bit of it. I want to share this quote from Bart Herbison. He said uh, about Hey Baby, it's one of the most important iconic songs in the history of rock and roll music. And I think a lot of people who are listening would agree with that. What do you think it is? Why do you think that people like this song so much? I don't know, Paul. All I can say is I'm so grateful and all those years ago, when you're stumbling trying to find your way, you write something like that and don't even know you've written it because you stumbled through so many of them and so many sessions and so many deals that did not work till you're ready for the disappointment and you have to do another one. So it finally dawned on me, you know, you have to write another one, whether it's a hit or not, you know, <laughs> so it's what you do. But for a long time, see, I, I had a really difficult time following Hey Baby. I still have a difficult time following Hey Baby. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just one of those songs that, uh, I mean, Mercury Records, who leased it from Bill Smith and his LeCam label all those years ago, they were looking for another single to come out months and months and months later. You know, hey Baby was number one for Four weeks, I believe it was, three or four weeks. And then they wanted another single out right away, so they came with a, 
um, number one man, which is kind of a clone of Hey Baby a little bit, you know, which they wanted because it had the harmonica sound and all that. But so it was kind of a rush deal to do it, and they put out the Hey Baby album, Hey Baby, and eleven other songs about your baby. And there was a lot of the songs that I liked, and some of them I had written with Margaret and different people. But baby, you've got what it takes. That was a great uh, a song that had already been a hit, but I just loved that song. So we included a couple of things like that on the album, and uh, Dream Baby uh, by Roy Orbison. I got to tour with Roy and know him a few times, and he's just a wonderful fellow, and I enjoyed all the times that we got to spend together. And I would just marvel. I'd stand in the wing of the stage and watch him sing, and he'd barely open his mouth and get all that wonderful sound out of there, you know. So, uh, but he's a really humble person and the sweetest guy in the world. And I just, I just loved his voice. Hmm. Well, you know, one of the things about Hey Baby is that there have been so many great bands and, and great recording artists who have covered that song. I mean, you could go anywhere from Ann Murray to Jerry Lee Lewis. Buckwheat Zydeco did a great version of it. Jimmy Vaughn recently. Could you say that anybody, to you, impressed you the most with their version? You know, I, I, I don't know how you judge that. I mean, I was so thankful for every one of them. You know, that song, uh, I, it was a, I don't know how to explain that little song. It just, it got wound up in so many different things, and it's still in a doo-wop album that's on TV for sale every night all over the world. Delbert and I went to Pittsburgh and recorded a, the song. We did Hey Baby for that doo-wop sessions that's on TV now. And uh, so I, I've been bothered uh, two or three times. People want you to come do that kind of thing, and I just wouldn't do it. You know, I thought, no, nah, I don't think so. But finally, these guys said, look, we're going to do it, and it's going to be a big thing. We're going to offer for the public television to kick it off and that kind of thing, and it will be a big help for that. And they pay you to do it up front, and then you get a royalty later on on the thing, you know. So I gave in, and Delbert was already in Pennsylvania doing a show. So I called him, and he said, yeah, he could come to uh, Pittsburgh and meet me there. And so Christian and I went to Pittsburgh, and he came the next day and met us, and we recorded that doo-wop show, the Hey Baby. We did it on there for them. But uh that's that's – it's been a – I don't know how to explain this – it's been number one, I think, five different times, Paul. Crazy. And it's, it's, mine was in 62. Ann Murray had it again. She had a number one, and when she did her country career, she cut Hey Baby and said, I want to know if I can be your girl. That's the way she handled that, you know, so she had no worry. Then DJ Osi did it, uh, Hey Baby, ooh, ah. I had been invited to Germany. In 2000, they had NFL, National Football League, over there. And uh, it was a Dusseldorf Rheinfire was the name of the team. And this lady named uh, Sanchez called and said, would I be interested in coming to Germany? And I said, I guess, what do you want me to do? She said, our fans do your song every week at the stadium, and they'd love it if you'd come sing it with them. So they took (laughs) Christine and I went to Germany for uh, a week. Uh, Dusseldorf, and they put us up in a nice hotel, and we had a great time, and 
that Saturday we went to the stadium and I did Hey Baby, my record. They played my record in the stadium and I'd sing along with it. The echo's so bad you can't really do that. So I would sing some and then let it ride the rest of the time. But the audience, there was 40,000 there that day. And at halftime, I was singing Hey Baby with the record. But then they were singing along with me and they would sing Hey, hey, baby. <laughs> I want to know ah, if you'll be my girl. 40,000 people doing that was a little bit disarming, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> when they go in your face. <laughs> but that's the first time I heard it done like that. And the disc jockey said, look, you ought to re-record that song and do it with some different beats and things, you know? And I said, okay. I'm in Tennessee, you're in Germany, put a track together and let me hear from you. (laughs) Well, I I didn't, I didn't, but uh, about a year later, DJ Oatsy came out with that exact idea. Hey, baby, ooh, ah. Bless his heart, he did about three million records on that thing. And it's just, uh, but before that was, uh, what, in 80-something, Chris, was Dirty Dancing. Oh, yeah. It came out number one soundtrack in, for the longest time, you know. Before that was Ringo Starr, and before that was Jose Feliciano. It, it, those records weren't at the top of the charts, but they were, uh, Jose got on up, I think, in about the 30s or 20s with it, and Ringo had it in that Roto Gavir album of his. And so it's just been recorded by so many people at different times, you know, and I'm just so thankful that song. I mean, I was invited by Vanderbilt University here in Nashville to come out to one of their games at the halftime and do Hey Baby for them. And I did that. Christine and I both did. And it was a great time. And they included it in one of their albums they sell for the university. At the football games, I've even heard of the playoffs, not this year, but listening to the football playoffs last year, I heard it on one of them. (laughs) People started singing it, you know. They love to sing it at football games. I don't know why. (laughs) But it's just a a wonderful thing, and I'm so appreciative. What did you think of the Buckwheat Zydeco version, which some people might remember that was in a Publix commercial years ago? Oh, yeah, those guys, that that was great. I was so glad to get that cut, too, you know. I, and uh, the first time I heard it, I thought, oh, man, that that's, that's really the fucky version. I like that, you know. <laughs> Very cool. Bruce, what do you think makes a great song a great song? Well, it's the way that it hits people. It's what it means to them. And and I suppose it's the same now as always, and even when we were younger, before we made records and all that, the songs that we remember at the time, the songs in our life that we danced to with our girlfriends, that we partied to, and that kind of thing, you know, they they mean something to people. I don't know why Hey Baby did that in such a manner, but I'm so happy that it did. You never know these things are going to last or not. And um, like even the Beatles, they hoped that their career would last two or three years, you know. <laughs> Elvis hoped his career would last a few years. You, so it's a, it's a real short-lived thing. 
And all that success of Hey Baby started with with our recording of it. That's true. But since then, people have taken it and made it their own, and and it's just been a, a wonderful experience to see all the different people that have enjoyed and recorded that song. It's just amazing to me, and keep it up, I say. <laughs> well, <laughs> Mr. Chanel, I really, I, I so much appreciate you doing this interview, and I, I want to thank you for your enthusiasm. It's been very exciting, and also it, it must be said Congratulations on writing a song that has found its way into the heart of so many people, now celebrating 60 years of this song. It's such an honor to talk to you. I hope, I hope to one day meet you in person. That'd be wonderful. That'd be wonderful, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. It would be great if you would just address the audience. There's people I know, they will be listening in Germany. There'll be people listening in England. In closing, what would you say to anybody who's listening to this? Well, folks, music makes the world go round. There's no doubt about that. And thank you so much for loving our music and uh, giving us a way to make a living through all these times. Folks are having such a hard time now, and we want to remember them and feel for them and know that uh, everybody's sharing this thing together, and we're going to get through it somehow, you know. And I think you will do it through music. So let's just keep on rocking. <laughs> well put. Ladies and gentlemen, Bruce Chanel. Ba Goodbye.